0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to John chapter 19, be the reading there this morning. John 19, we'll be starting in verse 17. And just a, a different service, a, a service on a Friday morning. And I know we don't have any kids' ministry uh, going on, but if if your kids are getting a little louder, there are a couple of rooms where you can still listen to the, the message if, if need be uh, to go there. A few things I want us to see here this morning. The one is obviously a focus on the cross, that we would feel the weight, at the same time see the majesty, and be given a greater wonder of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, just as we, as we get going, this Is a second in in three messages called The Garden Redeemed. And uh, what I want to do is kind of just give a big picture before we zero in on uh, the moment of Jesus uh, nailed to a cross. And, And big picture, we talked about last week, you know, God created everything good, very good, but it didn't stay that way. Sin entered into the world, one act of disobedience, and a curse actually came out of the garden a curse, death, destruction. And, uh, but in that, as, as they were kicked out of the garden, Adam and Eve, God made a promise, well, one to the serpent, then also to Eve, that one is going to come, a descendant of Eve, he's going to crush the head of the snake. And there's this promise all throughout Scripture, we see it uh, kind of pulled through, I talked about last week, Genesis twelve three, a promise made to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, someone who's going to come from Abraham, Paul picks this up in Galatians 3:16. Uh, this is just framing the message, big picture. Paul writes this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offsprings. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And that's the one we are talking about here this morning. Uh, the title of this message is "The Seed Planted." And it's really actually more framed at the end of the message. That's what we're talking about. But I just want you to see big picture. That which was, came in Genesis 3, the curse upon this world, upon humanity, uh, Jesus is dealing with at the cross. So it's going to be a little bit different message. I'm going to read portions of Scripture, speak to it as opposed to read all at once. But before we go in, if you want to bow with me again, seek the Lord in prayer. Oh God, uh, what a joy and a joy mixed in with uh, sadness. Singing these songs, reflecting on this day, uh, Lord Jesus, what it was for you and what you did. And I pray uh, by your spirit, each one of us, we come with busy schedules, busy lives, lots on the go. Allow us to stop, to stop for a moment to turn our eyes, to reflect, uh, and just and see the cross, see the weight, and see the beauty. And I pray you'd minister to our hearts in this, oh Lord. Uh, allow us to see it more clearly. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, just the first section I want to look at, I'm going to go kind of by section by section. You can follow along with me in the Bible, John chapter 19. 17 to 22, I want us to see we're talking about the crucified king. 17 to 22, and they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. What I want you to see here is it it was not a throne that this king came uh, to sit upon, but it was a cross that he came to be nailed to. After being whipped and beaten and mocked, when he was brought before Pilate by the soldiers, uh, Jesus needed to carry the beam that he was going to be crucified on. But yet he was so physically drained, so physically beaten up already, he couldn't keep doing it. Other gospel writers tell us there's one Simon of Cyrene who, who the Roman soldiers grab and say, hey, you need to come, you need to carry this all the way for Jesus, uh, the place that he's going to be crucified. Again, we, we looked at on Sunday, the people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem days previous with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna. Proclaiming Jesus as king, wanting him to sit on a throne. But instead, he gets nailed to a Roman cross. The crucifixion, uh, which was actually first invented by the Assyrians, is as a way to just punish anyone who stood against them. And then the, the Romans tried to, like, how can we make this, this act of, of killing someone last longer? And that's where they got the beams and they something for their feet, so that they would be in excruciating pain for days on end. Not only a punishment to those who'd be crucified, but then also a sign to anyone who would try to stand against the Roman Empire. This could be you. This is why it was vented, not for an innocent one, such as Jesus Christ. As he's nailed to the cross, the sign above it in verse 19, that Pilate put it, it reads, Jesus of Nazareth, The king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. This is one of the reasons why he was killed. Because he was the king of the Jews in verses 15 and 16. While Pilate displays Jesus to the crowd, he says, behold your king. In verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. They're like, We want nothing to do with this man. But above his head in, in three languages, the languages of the, of the local, the languages of, of trade, Greek, Aramaic, Latin, that everyone could see. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Ironically, He was, he is the king of the Jews, and he is our king too. But kings again are to be on thrones. Why is the king of kings on the cross? Wants to see in in verses twenty-three to twenty-four, simply this scripture fulfilled. John continues, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose shall it be. This was to fulfill Scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. We see throughout... Uh, Scripture, but particularly here at this time, leading up to the cross, on the cross, Jesus' path to the cross and crucifixion on it, it fulfilled scripture time and time again. God's plans and purposes are fulfilled. The Roman soldiers who really just wanted to make sure they didn't rip a good garment and were like casting lots, almost like rolling dice, like who's gonna win it, who's gonna get it, that's all they were doing, but they're fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 18 written a 1,000 years previous. It's amazing if you, if you think about this, how many things Jesus fulfilled. I don't know about you, it's hard for us to accomplish little plans. Just last week I was in a, in a preaching workshop and I tried to get together a number of pastors to go out for supper and texting and talking in person. We still messed it up. And I don't mean as a, I just mean like just even the smallest little things to get in order we still mess that up. But Jesus, in, like, in the Roman soldiers, fighting for his clothing, casting lots, fulfilling scripture written a thousand years previous. Amazing. God is in control. Everything is happening as it's supposed to be. Right? As he was born in Bethlehem, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, casting lots for his clothing, we see God is in this. God is in this. Scripture fulfilled. Continuing on, here I want us to see verses 25 to 27, the heart of God, Jesus on the cross. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Like, we should always take note, what did Jesus say on the cross? Amazing, in Luke's gospel, it's recorded, Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As he's nailed to the cross, the heart of Christ. Uh, I've been talking about for a few weeks, there's two conversations that took place while Jesus was on the cross, One in Luke's gospel is recorded. He had a, there was a thief nailed to his left and to his right. And Jesus had a conversation with the thief on the cross. How amazing is that? While he's nailed to a cross, he's worried about this lost, dying criminal. Puts his faith in him. The other conversation we have here recorded in John's gospel, a conversation with his mother, who was by this time widowed from Joseph, his father, So his mother without someone to look after her and his concern, he reaches out to John who wrote this gospel, hey, look after my mother. Care for her. This is is highlighting the love of God, the love of Christ while nailed to a Roman cross, concerned about the thief next to him who did not know him, who was lost, concerned about his mother that she would be cared for. This is the heart of God. We see the pure love of God to care for others, to watch out for others' needs and provision while hanging on a cross. How amazing, the love of Christ. In 28 to 30, I really want to stop and, and camp out here a little longer. I, I just simply want us to see it is finished and what does that mean? After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, 28 to 29, uh, one commentator just believes that's maybe an illusion Alluding to Psalm uh, 69, verse 21, where the psalmist wrote, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus seems to be fulfilling that. But I really want to focus on verse 30 especially. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What, what was finished? Everyone in here, I I want you to hear that, right? We talk about the curse that came in, in Genesis 3, that things are broken in this world. They're not as it should be. And we all know that way too well. We all know that even from a young age, we want what we want, and we want it now. And we're all born sinners. And our natural tendency is to turn from God and sin against Him. And our sin separates us from God. And our sin, though... Because God is a just and holy God, our sin must be punished by God. Remember, think of this, this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, hanging on the tree. He is the seed. He is the offspring of Eve. He is the one to come. He was the one born to die, the one to deal with the curse, the one to pay for sin, the one to make a way for sinners to be made right with God. Just think about Jesus as he's hanging on the tree, as, as Old Testament writers, maybe our understanding of the Old Testament, understanding what, what's happening here as Jesus is hanging on the tree. Well, in the, in the book of Exodus, we have as the Israelites or the Hebrews, as they left Egypt, the 10th plague, the Passover, right? There's gonna be coming in the night, there's gonna be an angel of death and was gonna be taking the firstborn of everyone. But the Hebrews were told, you need to take a lamb without blemish. And you need to kill the lamb and take the blood and put it upon the doorpost. So when the angel of death comes, it'll pass over. The judgment will pass over because a lamb was slain in the place. John's gospel begins... John 21, verse 29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus died during the Passover. New Testament writers, as they're looking back, Jesus hanging on the cross. What, what was he doing there? First, Peter two twenty four says this of Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes this, He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sins upon himself and then took our punishment that we deserved for those sins. Again, just thinking of what happened when Jesus says, It is finished, He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Other New Testament writers speak of what happened, but just in order to understand, we need to understand a little bit, again, Old Testament. The Old Testament had a system of sacrifices to deal with sin. God is a holy God. If someone's going to worship him, they have to deal with their sin somehow. So they they had animal sacrifices. They, They laid their hands on the animal, confessed their sins, and the animal was killed in the place to deal with the sin. But then they had this, this temple, a tabernacle first, then a temple. And then in the, in the, in the actual uh, temple, there was the first room called the holy room. And then there was a curtain, and on the other side of the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And the priests would not go in there except for one time a year, called the Day of Atonement, when sacrifices were made, sins confessed for all of Israel, and go behind the curtain and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, to deal with sin. So this curtain blocked the people from God's presence, even the priests, the only one who could go there once a year. But other, other gospel writers record this, right? As Jesus, as he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, the curtain was ripped in two. Mark fifteen thirty-seven to 38, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, John's the one who, who records, it is finished, and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This amazing picture, that like no one could enter into God's presence, sin is in the way, as Jesus gasps and cries out, it is finished, from the top to the bottom, ripped in two. There's a way to, be, to move into the very presence of God the Father, because Jesus paid for our sin. Commentator Colin Cruz says this, looking at uh, John's gospel. He had finished the work he came to do. He had given his flesh for the life of the world. As a good shepherd, he laid down his life for the sheep. He became the one man who died for the nation. He was the seed that had fallen into the ground. It would now produce many seeds. He had shown the lo- his love greater than any other. He had laid down his life for his friends. This is why we can call something so brutal and so unjust, the most innocent one ever hanging on a cross, Good Friday. Because on it, Jesus Christ made a way for broken sinners to be forgiven of their sins, have their punishment paid for, restore the relationship to God the Father. Do you believe? Have you trusted in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who hung on the tree? Anyone here today who's coming and and does not know Jesus Christ in this way, believe, trust in him. Have your sins paid for. Have your relationship restored again with the Father by belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to God. Be forgiven. Rest in him. It is finished. There's no more sacrifices needed to pay for sins. Jesus has paid it all. We can be made right with God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Friends, I want you to hear this again. It is finished. Maybe some of the most precious words found in all of the Bible. Think about this. No more striving. No more trying to earn God's favor like we cannot do enough. We cannot keep enough rules. We cannot be righteous enough. No more striving. No more shame. Dealing with failures past sins, things that we've done in in the shadows. We don't want to breathe to anyone else. We can confess it to the Lord. Jesus took it upon himself on the cross. It is finished. No more penance, no priest, nothing to add what he has done. It is finished. There is rest in that phrase. Rest is in collapsing in his work and resting from our own, ceasing from our own. There is peace. Peace. In that phrase. But what a mix. It's such a mix of sadness and rejoicing. It is finished. Looking at verses 31 to 37, I want again you to see Scripture fulfilled, but that you may believe. John continues, verse 31, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, For that Sabbath was a high day, meaning that Sabbath took place during the Passover, so it was a special one. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And the reason they're asking that is according to Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, to leave a dead body of an executed man hanging on a tree overnight desecrated the land. And so they wanted to to deal with that. Interesting, the ones who would want to crucify him were concerned about, oh, maybe we should take these bodies off the cross. we can desecrate the land. Such hypocrisy. But the reason they went in, in verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. because as the Romans, as they got better at crucifying people, people could last for days because they could keep pressing their legs up and keep getting just enough air. So if they broke their legs very soon, they wouldn't be able to breathe. But verse 33, when they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So the Roman soldier, again, just doing his job, just making sure Jesus is dead. Look at verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Referring to Exodus, referring to the Passover lamb. Also fulfilling Psalm 34, verse 20. That not one of his bones will be broken. He was already dead. And verse 30, 37, again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Roman soldiers just doing his job, jabs him in the side, make sure he's dead. But f- fulfills Zechariah 12.10, that they'll look on him whom they have pierced. Amazing, just fulfilling all the scripture. The soldier was making sure he's dead, but he's actually fulfilling prophecy in the Bible. These details fulfilled again, showing how God had this plan, a way for sinners to be made right with him. Friends, we all, or many of us know John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And listen to what John says about this in the middle. Verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness. John's talking about himself. He witnessed it. He saw it. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth, that you may believe, or you also may believe. This is why he's writing it. He's like, look at all the things fulfilled. Look at what's happening. Why am I telling you this? Why am I writing this down? That you may believe. That's the whole reason John wrote his gospel. John 20, verse uh, 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's that's the, the beautiful thing. Like all these, like, okay, yeah, okay, it's fulfilled, it's fulfilled, it's fulfilled. But why? So you may believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did. And by believing, you may have life in his name, your sins forgiven. Verse 38 to 42, I simply want you to see buried in a garden tomb. 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. We don't know where this Arimathea is, the place that Joseph was from. We do know from uh, Matthew's gospel that Joseph was a rich man. And why am I just pointing that out? Because uh, Jesus, in getting buried in this garden tomb, is actually fulfilling Isaiah 53 9, where it says, And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, like everything happening, just fulfilling scripture over and over again. God's plan and purpose is being accomplished. Nicodemus, verse 39, also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. I just want to point out just that detail, 75 pounds in weight. Why was it there? Because this is what happened. We're just making up some story. Like, here's a very distinct detail. Like, this is how much uh, of the things that we're going to bury him with. This is how much it weighed. This is what happened. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Again, so Jesus buried in the garden. Right? The the curse that was begun in the garden. Jesus hung on a cross to pay for that curse, to break that curse, but then Jesus' body laid in a garden tomb. I want you to see this, this seed planted. John 12 Verse 24, we looked at last Saturday. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the, into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. But friends, let us remember how the original audience saw this. They saw their king crucified, taken down, put into a tomb, and they did not have hope. And what did did they do? They actually, they went, Luke records, Luke 23, verse 56, on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And they went and just were quiet. Friends, I want us to feel the weight, not to crush us, but to see that Jesus was crushed for us. I want to say that again. I want us to feel the weight not to crush us, but to see that Jesus was crushed for us. It's a day that's truly one of the saddest events in human history, the most innocent one that ever lived hung on a cross. And yet one of the most glorious days is Savior dying for our sins, paying a penalty that we could never meet. If you just bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, I thank you for how clear your scripture is. There's so much more that could be said. I pray, again, even as we move to taking uh, communion, Lord, allow us to see, allow us to remember the penalty paid. I pray we would take to heart above all else that it is a finished work, and we would rest in that, Oh, Lord, I pray you continue to work in our lives. Allow us to see what you accomplished on the cross. Allow us to see the sufficiency of it. Thank you, Lord, that you died in our place. I pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to move to a time to take communion, take the Lord's Supper. We're about to take a physical reminder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, something we can actually feel and touch and taste. And of course, the bread represents his body broken for us, the juice, his blood shed for us. But again, I I just want you above all else that this is to remind us it is a finished work. We're looking back at what Jesus did and it is done. The Lord's Supper or Communion, it is for believers. It's for those who say, yes, I'm I'm following Jesus Christ. I have His Spirit within me. I'm walking uh, in His ways. If that is you, please come and take together. If if you are not a believer, if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, I'd ask that you would not partake at this time. I pray you would trust in the Lord, trust in Him, but at this time, uh, not partake. We're going to do it a little differently uh, here. Uh, I'm going to ask you to come now. Come and grab the cup. And uh, just as Hope starts to play uh, some music, we're going to all grab it. We're going to go sit in our seats and then they're going to play a song. Use it as a time to reflect, a time to pray, a time to listen to the lyrics. And then I'll come up and we'll take together. So if you all want to uh, now start to come forward, grab a cup and uh, and wait. And we'll take together after the song. May we take the bread together. Remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and for our sins. Let's take together. As we take the cup, even as Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross as his side was pierced with the spear. His blood was shed for our sins. Let's take in remembrance of that. And in, in all things, just take remember with you that it is finished. I want us to, um, to finish this time, if we can, in quiet reflection and prayer. Uh, again, as we asked at the start, if you can, uh, please leave quietly and just kind of give some reverence uh, for the day, or if, at least for this space. Try to keep quiet even until you leave the building. I know uh, parents with young kids, it's, it is what it is. Um, do, do what you can. Also, if, as we have the time to kind of pray and reflect, if you'd like someone to pray with you about something, uh, I'll be up here, uh, Dave will be up here. And we we love to pray with you as well. I'd like to give that for you. But friends, on the cross, we see something so horrible. Jesus crucified, yet something so amazing. We see God's love displayed uh, for sinners like you and like me. And so take that to heart. God's love seen on the cross. We see and feel the weight of Good Friday. Uh, But Sunday is coming. God bless. Amen.